0: Good evening, it's great to be here again, have the honor of preaching God's Word. Today we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 22, we're going to do the whole chapter, so if you open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 2, that's where we will be. So just a quick little recap, last week we went through chapter 21, we did the whole chapter, and it was there that we learned of the importance for the priests to be good examples to the flock, the good examples to the whole nation of Israel. And as the worship leaders and ones who were intercessors, they had to do things correctly. As you can imagine, they must do things correctly. Chapter 22 is a continuation of the same general topic, but it's going to zero in on some different details. Some of the things that we went through last week were how a priest was to handle mourning, marriage, and sex. And concerning mourning, they were not allowed to defile themselves by coming into contact with the dead body, with only a few exceptions for immediate family members. And we know that the high priest was even more strict. They weren't allowed to mourn like the pagans who were around them. If you looked at the pagan world around them, they did all kinds of crazy things with their bodies. They would engage in other kinds of idolatry and all these things, and they would deify the deceased. And that is not good. So Israel was to be a much different people. They were to be a peculiar people. They were a special people, set apart for God. And in one sense, they really should have been examples to the world around them. So Israel was to be different, and especially the priests who were the leaders. So for the priests, ministry never ended, right? They were constantly doing the work in the, the tabernacle. So they had to be holy in marriage in matters of marriage as well. That is, they had to select a wife that met the proper qualifications, and the high priest was even a step above the other priest, okay? Because, again, the priesthood was hereditary. So every effort had to be made to make the family line pure. So marrying the right person doesn't necessarily make this a guarantee, But it certainly puts yourself in a better situation. That principle even applies still today. Marrying the wrong person will certainly need to a dysfunctional family. And as human beings, we're already dysfunctional to begin with, right? So we don't need to add more fuel to the fire, right? And then thirdly, holiness in matters of sex. It's not an uncommon theme in the Bible, it's something that has brought destruction to nations, and the priests had to be holy in this area. In particular, if the daughter of a priest was to be a harlot, she not only defiled herself, but her father, who was the priest. And in doing this, she would have brought judgment on herself. And this judgment, as we read, was of the strictest kind for the purpose of taking God's commandments very seriously and respecting and honoring the very God who gave them. And then we learned of those in the priestly line who had defects. And we saw that they were forbidden to be priests because the priests ministered at the tabernacle, which was God's sanctuary, and his sanctuary cannot be defiled. Yet they were still graciously provided for by being allowed to eat of the holy gifts, both the holy and the unholy. And as we'll see tonight... The first half of chapter 22 speaks of the attitude that the priests were to have in regard to their ministry, which was on behalf of the people before God. And it starts first by reminding them to have respect for what the people gave, which was actually God's, and which was on behalf of them. So they had to be careful with what the people gave. Then it speaks of them being careful with who they share the gifts with. And again, you will see that it's all about obeying the Lord, obeying the Lord. The second half focuses on the offerings again and how they had to be free from defects and done correctly. And the main idea that God is give, that 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 um, the main idea is that God is to be giving the best at all times. Our Lord was speaking to the Pharisees in the New Testament. And if you remember, they were putting the traditions of men on a higher level than the commandments of God. And our Lord says this in Matthew chapter 15, in verse 7 and 8, He says, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. So true worship is, in fact, a matter of of the heart, which is actually my title, it won't come up, I forgot to give that to John. So I want us to see this evening nine things that will be evident in a true heart of worship. Nine things that as I was going through this stood out to me. Number one, a respectful heart, a heart of worship is going to be a respectful heart. Number two, it's going to be a careful heart. Number three, a devoted heart. Number four, a humble heart. Number five, a loving heart. Number six, a repentant heart. Number seven, a generous heart. Number eight, a compassionate heart. And number nine, an obedient heart. Now, it may seem like there's a lot of things there, but I actually think I'm going to finish a little quicker than normal today, but we'll see what God has. Okay, so nine things that will be evident in a true heart of worship. So with that being said, I will ask you guys to stand as we read Scripture, give honor of reading God's holy word. Leviticus chapter 22. This is the word of the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Aaron and his sons to be careful with the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so as not to profane my holy name. I am the Lord. Say to them, if any man among all your descendants throughout your generations approaches the holy gifts which the sons of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from before me. I am the Lord. No man of the descendants of Aaron who is a leper or who has a discharge may eat of the holy gifts until he is clean. And if one touches anything made unclean by a corpse, or if a man has a seminal omission, or if a man touches any teeming things by which he is made unclean, or any man by whom he is made unclean, whatever his uncleanness, a person who touches any such shall be unclean until evening, and shall not eat of the holy gifts unless he has bathed his body in water. But when the sun sets, he will be clean. And afterward he shall eat of the holy gifts, for it is his food. He shall not eat an animal which dies or is torn by beasts, becoming unclean by it. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep my charge, so that they will not bear sin, and because of it die thereby, because they profane it. I am the Lord who sanctifies them. No layman, however, is to eat the holy gift A sojourner with the priest or a hired man shall not eat the holy gift. But if a priest buys a slave as his property with his money, that one may eat of it. And those who are born in his house may eat of his food. If a priest's daughter is married to a layman, she shall not eat the offering of the gifts. But if a priest's daughter becomes a widow or divorced and has no child and returns to her father's house as in her youth, She shall eat of her father's food, but no layman shall eat of it. But if a man eats a holy gift unintentionally, then he shall add to it a fifth of it, I'm sorry, and he shall add to it a fifth of it and shall give the holy gift to the priest. They shall not profane the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, which they offer to the Lord, and so cause them to bear punishment for their guilt by eating holy gifts, for I, the Lord, I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons and to all the sons of Israel, and say to them, Any man of the house of Israel or of the aliens in Israel who presents his offering, whether it is of their votive or any of their free will offerings, which they present to the Lord for a burnt offering, for you to be accepted, it must be a male without defect from the cattle, the sheep, or the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer for it will not be accepted for you when a man offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the lord to fulfill a special vow or for a free will offering of the herd or of the flock it must be perfect to be accepted there shall be no defect in it those that are blind or fractured or maimed or having a running sore or eczema or scabs you shall not offer to the lord nor make of them an offering by fire on the altar to the Lord. In respect to an ox or a lamb which has an overgrown or stunted member, you may present it for a free will offering, but for a vow it will not be accepted. Also anything with its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you should not offer to the Lord or sacrifice in your land." nor shall you accept any such from the hand of a foreigner for offering as the food of your God, for their corruption is in them. They have a defect. They shall not be accepted for you. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When an ox or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day on it shall be accepted as a sacrifice of an offering by fire to the Lord. But whether it is an ox or a sheep, You shall not kill both it and its young in one day. When you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day. You shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be sanctified among the sons of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out from the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. May God add the blessing of the reading of his word. Lord, let's let's pray. Father, Lord, there's a lot to cover, but we're here. We're here, and we're here to be attentive to what you have to say, Lord, because we value it. We care about it. We want to know what you're saying to us, Father. So I pray again that you would be clear tonight through my lips, that you would give us the understanding that we need, and that you would keep our minds free from any distractions, Father. Help us to be attentive to your good and perfect word for your glory. And of course, Lord God, not only just being attentive to it, I pray that it would actually have its perfect work in us, Lord God. So help us to take whatever knowledge we, we receive today, Lord God, and respond to that knowledge with wisdom and not with foolishness. And I'll thank you in advance for what you do, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so the first thing I said here was a respectful heart. 1 and 2 are going to be very similar, same kind of verses here, respectful heart. Verse 1 and 2 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Aaron and his sons to be careful with the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so as not to profane my holy name. I am the Lord. What I want to do today pretty much, guys, when all these things that I see, I just want to go through them and get some other verses to kind of help to apply these principles so that we have good understanding. So a respectful heart, they are to deal respectfully with what the people diligently offered correctly, right? It was in their care as the priests. And one can't help being reminded again of the second greatest commandment, which is like the first, which is loving your neighbor as yourself. There are so many ways to demonstrate love, and one of the greatest of these is by showing Respect for others. So a couple of verses here. Matthew 7, verse 12 says, And everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. And the reality is, every single human being wants to be respected. If there's some rebel that says they don't care about that, they're lying. Everyone wants to be respected. Therefore, we should show respect. Philippians 2.3 reminds us, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Well, that's a good principle to start, is to recognize that others are more important than yourself and treat them in that way. And then finally, in Ephesians 5, verse 33, we know what God said as far as marriage within a man and a woman and the roles that God has given. They're both to love each other, right? And this is what we see here in Ephesians 5, Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. The greatest way a wife shows that she loves her husband is by respecting him. So a true heart of worship will be a respectful heart how that carries itself out in whatever context it may be. A respectful heart. And then number two, and it kind of goes together, is that a true heart of worship will be a careful heart. A careful heart. We already read in verse 2 that uh, Moses said, Tell Aaron and the sons to be careful with the holy gifts of the sons of Israel. And then in verse 3 to 9, I'll read it again one more time. It says, Say to them, if any man among all your descendants throughout your generations approaches the holy gifts which the sons of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from before me. I am the Lord. No man of the descendants of Aaron who is a leper or who has a discharge may eat of the holy gifts until he is clean. And if one touches anything made unclean by a corpse, or if a man has a seminal omission, or if a man touches any teeming things by which he is made unclean, or any man by whom he is made unclean, whatever his uncleanness, a person who touches any such shall be unclean until evening, and he shall not eat of the holy gifts unless he has bathed his body in water. But when the sun sets, he will be clean, and afterward he shall eat of the holy gifts where it is his food. He shall not eat an animal which dies or is torn by beasts, becoming unclean by it. I am the Lord. And they shall therefore keep my charge so that they will not bear sin because of it and die thereby because they profane it. I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And here, it's an interesting thing. I don't have it in my notes, but I'm reminded again in verse 9 here where it says he's being cut off in verse 3. It clearly implies death. So if one is going to be respectful, they must also be careful. They kind of go hand in hand. And in the context of these verses, the priests were to be careful with the offerings by not defiling themselves, and therefore defiling the offerings that his brethren gave and were put in their trust, and that the rest of the priests had to eat. Sometimes they would be defiled for something out of their control. There's a whole list of things. Some of these things are out of their control, and there were certain steps that had to be followed in order to make them clean again. And if they truly loved and respected the Lord and the people, they would be very careful with what the people gave, and especially when they could have made something that was acceptable now become unacceptable. So being careful to do what is right is something that is explicit in the Scriptures throughout the whole Bible. In Ephesians 5 Paul talks about being imitators of Christ, right? And verses 3 to 5, it won't come up. 15 to 18 is the one I want to come up. But in verse 3 to 5, I'm just going to read it real quick. It says, "...but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks." For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And he says some more stuff, but then he goes on here in verse 15 and he says very clear words. He says, therefore, taking into account everything he said, be careful how you walk, your lifestyle, the things that you do. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And we know what the will of the Lord is, and so did these priests, did they not? And a filled spirit will be a spirit that worships the Lord, with a correct heart and a careful heart. Joshua 1.8, very popular verse, reminds us that this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. And that principle we see, I believe, here in this text with the priests. So, a true heart of worship will be a careful heart. Thirdly, a true heart of worship is going to be a devoted heart, taking these same verses. If one has a respectful heart, they will be careful to pay attention to all the details, right? Those details are there for a reason, those de- details have purpose. And once that is established, they must be devoted and always carrying it out, steadfast, paying careful attention, being devoted to what my Lord wants me to do. God gave them instructions on how to become clean when situations arise that made them unclean. And because their ministry demanded it and because love demands it, They had to be devoted to carrying out all that was required of them. And I think there's no greater verse, I think that really exemplifies this, is Acts chapter 2. Context, totally different, but I love this. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, Peter gives his great sermon, right? Many people are getting saved. And this is what we read here in Acts chapter 2. Verse 37 to 42, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word and were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I'm going to repeat verse 42 again. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, there are so many more verses I can share concerning this particular topic of being devoted, but they all find their roots, I believe, in these verses. We know that He has given us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness, and all those things are enclosed in the apostles' teaching, which was the teaching of the Lord, which was the teaching of the whole entire Bible. And a heart of worship will be devoted to the word of the very God of their worship. And because God made us a family, we ought to fellowship together. And we ought to break bread together. And also communicate back to our God. That's what praying is. Who has revealed to us so much of Himself in His perfect and holy word. We know exactly what He desires from us. So we must therefore pray and communicate back to Him. So a true heart of worship we will be a devoted heart. These priests were human just like everything else and they got defiled from time to time and if they were going to be able to eat the things and not to file the food, not to file the offerings, whatever. They had to follow these things and be devoted. They needed to be respectful. They needed to be careful. They needed to be devoted. And so do we. Fourthly, your true heart of worship will be a humble heart. A humble heart. Verse 10 says, No layman, however, is to eat the holy gift. A Sojourner with the priest, or a hired man shall not eat of the holy gift. This one, maybe I might have stressed a little bit, but I see the concept here. The gifts were for the priests to eat, right? The gifts were for the priests to eat because they had no inheritance. Not everyone was entitled to it, but the priests alone and their families. This means that one had to accept the fact that they had no right to something, and that can be humbling, can it not? So a humble heart understands his place and that God sets the rules and that God essentially doesn't owe us anything. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. A humble man understands his spiritual bankruptcy apart from God and is thankful for all things and is in in is content. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 15 Speaks here of the king of Babylon. says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on a mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. And we use this as a picture of Satan as well. But here, the king of Babylon was getting too big for his britches. And because he didn't humble himself before the Lord, and because he didn't know his place, God cast him down low. And we see this with many of the kings, right? We see this with Sennacherib said, Who of any of these gods have delivered them out of my hands? What makes you think your god's going to do it? And God, in fact, did it. He did it with Nebuchadnezzar too. He did it with so many people. So a true heart of worship will be a humble heart. Fifthly, a true heart of worship will be a loving heart. Verse 11 to 13 says, But if a priest buys a slave as his property with his money, That one may eat of it, and those who are born in his house may eat of his food. If a priest's daughter is married to a layman, she shall not eat the offerings of the gifts. But if a priest's daughter becomes a widow or divorced and has no child and returns to her father's house as in her youth, she shall eat of her father's food, but no layman shall eat of it. And here is kind of an interesting few verses. Now, we never think of slavery as anything good, and we don't normally think of blessings that come from it, but here we see slaves being able to have rights that others didn't have. Here we see slaves having the same rights as immediate family members, being entitled to the holy gifts. And also, when a daughter was no longer married and came under his roof, she was also able to be cared for and was called to care for her as well. So all this demonstrated both God's love, I believe, and the priest's love. Love always provides. First Corinthians chapter 16 verse 14 reminds us, let all that you do be done in love. That should be our motivation with all the things that we do. For something to truly be good, for a work truly to be good, <clears throat> I believe it has to be rooted and grounded in love for the Lord and love for that person. Let all that you do be done in love. It's a short verse, but there's a very profound verse. There's a lot in there. Very convicting. 1 John 4, 8. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So a true heart of worship, brothers and sisters, will be a loving heart. And number six, the true heart of worship will be a repentant heart. Verse 14 to 16 says, But if a man eats a holy gift unintentionally, then he shall add to it a fifth of it. He shall give the holy gift to the priest and shall give it to the holy uh, holy gift to the priest. They shall not profane the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, which they offer to the Lord. And so cause them to bear punishment for guilt by eating their holy gifts. For I am the Lord who sanctifies them. (coughs) We know that accidents happen, right? Accidents happen. And even if sin happens that was unintentional, it is still sin. And a true heart of worship will repent of their sins, always. And if they are truly repentant, it will show in their actions. In this context, if they did this, they had to add a fifth to make, to make up for it. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 10 says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We know that sin breaks fellowship. And in order for fellowship to be brought back, there must be repentance and there must be forgiveness when it has to do with two parties. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, it says, For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. And this is difficult because he's talking to believers here. So it's not talking about positional eternal forgiveness. It's talking about this same concept really more of fellowship being right. My children are my children, but if they're sinful and they don't obey and they don't repent, just things are not going to be right until they do that. And let's say if they do do that and I don't forgive them, things are still not going to be right unless both parties do it. So this is not just a New Testament principle. Or in the Old Testament. We're seeing this 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. Our Lord says this, And my people who are called by my name, if they humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Luke 17, verses 3 and 4, it says, Be on guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, and returns seven times saying, I repent, forgive me. Forgive him. So, a true heart of worship will be a repentant heart. Then, seventh, the true heart of worship will be a generous heart. Verse 17 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron. And to his sons and to all the sons of Israel and say to them, any man of the house of Israel or of the aliens in Israel who presents his offering, whether it is any of their votive or any of their free will offerings, which they present to the Lord for a burnt offering, for you to be accepted, it must be a male without defect from the cattle, the sheep or the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it will not be accepted for you. When a man offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a special vow or a free will offering of the herd or of the flock, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind or fractured or maimed or having a running sore or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or make of them an offering by fire on the altar to the Lord. In respect to an ox or a lamb which has an overgrown or stunted member, you may present it for a free will offering, but for a vow, it will not be accepted. Also, anything with its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you shall not offer to the Lord or sacrifice in your land. What are we seeing here? That God wants his worshipers to give him the best, and the best costed more. Right? A true heart of worship is not greedy or cheap or stingy. It doesn't give God the scraps or the leftovers, but gives God the best. This was the problem with Cain's cheap, disobedient, and heartless offering. He did not give God the best. No, but rather a true heart of worship will be generous. And give the best and will give what is costly. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 5 says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, of their abundance of joy and their deep poverty, overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability, and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us which with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. What a great passage that we can learn here. The Macedonians knew that there is no price tag on them giving back to the Lord. They knew that he deserved their best, that he gave their son to them. He was their savior. We know that it wasn't foolish either because they first gave themselves to the Lord, which means that most likely they prayed first and sought him in his word. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 to 12 says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. What we see here is that God will richly provide <coughs> in order for us to richly give back. Giving will, in fact, cost us something. David had this heart and this mind, too. We read this in 2 Samuel verse 20, uh, chapter 24, verse 24. He says, however, the king said to Aaronah, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David knew that giving to the Lord had to be costly if it was to be accepted. So a true heart of worship will, in fact, be a generous heart. Eighthly, a true heart of worship will be a compassionate heart. And this one was a little tough, so just go with me a little bit on this one, okay? It says, when an ox or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day on it shall be accepted as a sacrifice of an offering by fire to the Lord. But whether it is an ox or a sheep, you shall not kill both it and its young in one day. Now, uh, people have a lot of different things to say about what this actually means. We know that we are to show compassion as believers. This is a principle, I believe, applies to animals as well. So, as much as these offerings were the lives of animals, God still holds the life of the animal as precious. Sin, unfortunately, had consequences, right? And life is to be respected, and I think that is the meaning behind this command over here. And there is so much in Scripture about having a heart of compassion. That we know for sure. As worshipers of God, we ought to have compassionate hearts. So, for this, I want to go to the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, verse 30 to 37. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. He came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Now, certainly this text we have in Leviticus is a little bit different, but I think the heart behind it is respect for life, which requires compassion. So a true heart of worship will be a compassionate heart. And then ninthly, finally, a true heart of worship will be an obedient heart. Verse 29 it says, when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day. You shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. Again, what we have been seeing so often is that if the offering was to be accepted, it had to be done the right way. All the rules had to be followed. If there was disobedience, it would not be accepted. Well, we have a great example of an offering that wasn't accepted because it stemmed from a disobedient heart. King Saul persisted in having his own way, and he paid for it. In 1 Samuel 15, verses 22 to 23, After all this, Samuel responded to him and says these famous words. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is is as iniquity, and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king because he persisted in his disobedience. So a true heart of worship will be an obedient heart. So in conclusion, we must be reminded of the reason for our worship, the reason why we're here, The reason why we open our Bibles in the morning and do our devotions if we're doing that. We have to remind ourselves of the reason for it. Verses 31 to 33 says, So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be sanctified among the sons of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you who brought you out from the land of the Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord, the Lord says. So the heart of worship is one that understands the reason for our worship. And in order to understand the reason, we must understand the object of our worship. It is the Lord God alone who is the object of our worship. We speak of faith as believers, and we should. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But the glory is not in the faith, but is in the object of our faith, and we cannot miss that. If we fail to see the object of our worship, we are vainly worshiping, and there is absolutely no honor in that. True worship is a matter of the heart, brothers and sisters. So this evening, let's make sure our hearts are right so that he can be honored and pleased with you and I as his children, as his vessels, to work his wonderful works for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help us to have a true heart of worship. Show us the parts in our lives where we truly fail. And help us to make it right. Help us, Lord God, to very simply acknowledge those things and repent of them, knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, help us to be better vessels for your glory. Lord, I know I sound like a broken record. and I know I say I sound like a broken record all the time. Lord, I so much just want to be a better vessel. I want so much, Lord God, to not hinder any of your work. And I know in one sense I can't do that. You're going to have your way, Lord. I just want to be used by you. I don't want to get in the way. And Lord, I I know my brothers and sisters want the same thing. So help us, I pray, Father. Help us to be all that you've called us to be. And believe, Lord God, in the promises of your word. Believe, Lord God, what your word says. Believe what you can truly do in and through us. Oh, Lord, help our faith. Make it strong. Help us in our knowledge to respond with wisdom. Help us to love you and to love each other. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Funny, I had another song picked out, but as he prayed, obviously, you know, the Holy Spirit talking. We're going to sing 591, Have Thine Our Way, Lord. So open up your hymnal and please stand with me. 591. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Search me and try me, Master, today. Whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now. As in thy presence, humbly I bow. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Wounded and weary, help me, I pray. Power, all oh power, surely is thine. Touch me and heal me, Savior divine. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold on my being, absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only always living in me. And then doxology. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.